Welcome to the Brain Coffee Podcast, where doctors Eric Luthard and Albert Kim unlock life's little mysteries about health, wellness, entertainment, technology, and how the brain makes sense of it all. Sit back, relax, and open up your mind. We're both wearing glasses and we're both wearing cell phones. A hundred years ago, we would have been, we would now be considered Borgs, right? You know, and like <laughs> sure. you know, that marriage of you know mind and machines is going to continue to happen for restoration of function. But it, it does bring in this challenging notion of neural augmentation. Yeah, like right, what, right. You know, because I think it will happen within our lifetimes where we have simple implants that can augment cognitive functions. More, uh, maybe more memory, more, more improved new skills. New skills. Uh, the biggest example is Elon Musk now is uh, starting a, a company called Neuralink. And the idea is that he wants to instrument the brain and record and stimulate you know, millions of neurons so that he can you know, kind of essentially make your brain literally inter interconnectable with an artificial intelligence. So we really massively augment our intelligence. On the one side, you have sort of the social consequences of human augmentation and then you have this other side of artificial intelligence just on its own. I don't know, you know, it's Elon a, Musk is talking about this and Facebook I think it's a, there's a really interesting uh, conjunction in that on one level, you know, we see this massive scientific effort to really understand and decode the brain. Like how does the brain manage information? How does it create this miracle of our consciousness and our ability to think? In parallel, we see this artificial effort, right? You know, so right. how do we, you know, kind of artificially create kind of an intelligent, uh, um, artificial uh, um, kind of in silico you know, ability to manage information and perhaps mimic or even perhaps achieve so reverse, en reverse engineering. That's right. And I think you're going to see th these happening in parallel. And eventually right. there's going to be a synergy there. Elon Musk and uh, Stephen Hawking say this could be one of the greatest existential threats to humanity. What is the ethical you know, quality of a human versus an artificial intellect? Um, who controls what? Um, do they have independence? I see. No, yeah. but you know, I, I do have to say, before we go, you know, jump off this clip, there is another aspect. You know, there's, there's so much data. Let's take a, the example of cancer, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much data out there, patient data, individual biological data. And so using the, these AI programs to try to decipher how patients will do, I mean, that's a new use for I, it as well. That's really interesting. People kind of uh, uh, get highly anxious about the negative consequences of the technologies. You know, that was true for you know, you know, nuclear energy. That was true for gunpowder. That was true for electricity. And I think what we will see in, by the far majority is exactly what you're talking about. This complex ability to manipulate information beyond what a human brain is possible right, right. can integrate information that is going to enhance and improve our lives. Yeah, and I, I think, so that, is not really intended to make a sentient being per se. It's you know it's really taking a million variables from a patient. That's right. And trying to see if you could predict either a therapy or uh -huh. an outcome, and that's really important. I mean, right now, but now here, here's we're shooting it. in the dark a lot of the right. time, right? Yeah, Without but, that, right? I agree. Now, but here's actually kind of maybe the the fly in the and the challenging question. Uh -huh. If you have such a complicated environment like that, or a complicated system like that, mm -hmm. and it is, yeah. Do you ever have a situation where consciousness happens by accident? <laughs> you know, That's so for instance, when you think about well, kind of our okay. human evolution, like so, yeah. or actually our biologic evolution, that you had this complex milieu of you know amino acids, energy, lightning strikes, and you know what, uh, uh, complex molecules formed, and by accident they formed membranes, and by accident they formed uh, 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 cellular organisms, and 
and you have this iterative that was not by design. Well, okay. So what, what would you, how would you define consciousness? Let, you know, oh, so, okay, well, like, that makes like, sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 but I mean, seriously, like just if you want to do an experiment, right, you right. need a definition. I mean, does a, like a, does a fruit fly, which we commonly use as an right. experimental model, do, do fruit flies have a consciousness? Well, or can we make it a simple enough definition to include a fruit fly or, or so a, like kind of, a worm? Or so, a, now, Turing test was originally thought that like, if a computer can fool a human into thinking that it's a person, that it's conscious, you know, people are starting to challenge that notion. But like, how do we, how do we define self-awareness? One thing, you know, I guess I would probably, um, I would guess, you know, if something is truly self-aware, mm -hmm. it would pursue self-preservation. Hmm. Meaning that, uh, and, and in a non-programmed way, like if you're truly self-aware, that uh, um, that it would seek its self-preservation. So I, I agree. For so, you can turn off yeah. the chat button, it's never gonna complain. Right, right. So I agree it's self-preservation and self-awareness definitely would constitute consciousness. But what if you're not self-aware, are you still conscious? Are you, like for instance, a fly probably just flies around, I need food, see food, get, you know? But yeah, but it, is that, but, is that but, conscious? But it is hardwired to self-preserve, you're right, you know? And, and the thing is, consciousness has always been, we, sometimes we talk about it in a binary fashion, meaning that like you are conscious or you're not conscious. Right. But it could also be kind of a gradient, meaning that, um, you know, there's the fruit fly, mm -hmm. there's the dog who kind of honestly, oftentimes, you know, when you interact with it, it seems to have emotions and consciousness and self-awareness. There's a baby, right? right? You know, uh, there's- Not entirely self-aware. Not entirely, yeah, <laughs> right. And then there's, the, so, you know, is consciousness really an evolution of process and do we have different levels of consciousness? Well, how about, how about this, at the, at the simplest level, just, just see if you'll buy this. You need input, environmental input. Uh -huh. You need a sense of time. Sense and then, of time. And then you need an output, like a reaction to that. What do you, what do you think? I mean, uh, just fruit flies still pass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that you definitely need. Although they don't have as much of a self of time, but like they have a. Sh so is there a window? Like so, for instance, ravens have a sense of time. There's been numerous examples where ravens can plan ahead. Have you ever seen these experiments? Where no, they, no, no. This is really interesting. So ravens are have been tested and are as smart or smarter than chimpanzees in terms of their ability to kind of do serial and predictive tasks. Meaning that, um, for instance, they've learned like a, a raven. Like there's this one kind of you know skill set that a raven has to learn. They have to put a certain amount of um, rocks into a colander of water to make something go up to allow them to get a little piece of food. They can learn that and then they can learn and they can uh, kind of remember it so that they can do it again in the future. Wow. And so ravens are quite intelligent. They have a sense of time. They have a sense of planning, you know, and so are they conscious? And they do it, actually they do it better than chimpanzees. Interesting. Maybe that's why Edgar Allan Poe did Right, right. That's and why they're, they're creepy too. Are, you know, it's very it, it, it's, scary. Yeah, exactly. This has been a um, a historic question. You know, when we again we're we're approaching you know Halloween. If you think about Frankenstein. Yeah. You know, for instance. So that's what, not an emergent phenomenon coming out of nothingness, and that's an engineered. That's engineered consciousness. In some senses, Frankenstein is you know the original question that we are battling with now with AI, right? If we create something that's self-aware, that isn't constrained by kind of our human biology and our human rules, what do we get? What are the dangers? And also, putting it, reversing it, what does that new sentience, that new consciousness experience, and what are our moral obligations to it? For instance, because there was a real question in Frankenstein. You know, what, what was Franken, you know, Frank, the Frankenstein monster experience? You know, like, why did he behave oh, so badly? Right. Because he, he what is he? he? Yeah, what is he? And he wanted to know, and he wanted to have some meaning, and, and, he, and in, in his search for it, he, 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 you know, 
he became destructive, right? And um, it was kind of this iterative series of you know events because of his you know kind of creation and his inability to deal with his own creation. That's interesting. They had the same question come up in the new uh, in the new Planet of the Apes series. Actually, yeah, I haven't seen the last one. I got Caesar say asks it. himself, you know, the, the first ape that spoke, he, you know, what what am I? And right, am, right. I, am I just a pet? Right, uh, right, right, right. And so it's a, it's a lot of the same questions. It's interesting. Right. You know, we project our own right. questions onto the things that we're creating, yeah, yeah, right? That's you right. know. Um, so I mean, maybe, I mean, in those examples, the the main problem is they have no group that they can identify with. That that's one of the biggest problems there, right? There, there's nothing else like Frankenstein. Right, right. He was I mean, there's no there's no Frankenstein family that you can right, hide right, out right. with. Well, wait until the sequels. But right, 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 <laughs> yeah, right. right, yeah. right. <laughs> you know, I think it actually captures something that is so essential for kind of, you know, us as humans is that uh, we need to be connected, right? That, you know, humans are fundamentally a social creature that needs to be together. And if alone, like, it's, it's a really destructive thing to that person and to that per what that person does. I mean, I think that's why, for instance, when we think about the prison system, one of the most uh, um, terrible punishments is solitary right. confinement. Right, right. You know, that um, being separated from kind of, you know, peers you know, it's fundamentally in our, in our in our nature. No, you're right, and and you know, as you know, we we have problems with our brains when when things don't connect, when neurons don't connect, when regions right, right, don't right. connect, and so in a very similar way, when humans don't connect with it others, it scales up, right? You know? Yeah, that's uh -huh. right. And so, I mean, that I'd be pretty pissed as well if I just woke up and had nobody and <laughs> right, yeah, right, right, <laughs> and there's simply you are alone on this earth, you know, <laughs> exactly. and like nobody understands you. Although I guess you know maybe you know kind of flipping it around just for a moment when we think about this kind of social connection is like thinking about Frank you know Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah, what was he thinking? You know, and that like what is you know what is uh, his role? You know, what is his obligation? Uh, I mean, okay, for sure he was an eomaniac and he was doing things that probably broke some kind of I mean numerous social contracts and ethical right. concerns. But I mean, what was he going for? You know, you know, essentially. Uh, the, the power to control life, right. right? You know, and again, I think these are themes that you know still exist today. In that, um, you know, what is Dr. Frankenstein's responsibility? What is um, his ethical mandate? You know, what is the, the, the appropriate time to stop? And uh, I guess, yeah, obviously, when you think about, you know, uh, kind of, we, we talked about with artificial intelligence, but CRISPR, yeah, that, oh, yeah. that you know, we literally now have kind of. Frankenstein's capability to so, control and manipulate life with CRISPR. Right. I mean, you so know CRISPR Cri better so than I do. CRISPR-Cas9, just uh, it, it, right, the system you're talking about where you, you can basically use uh, an enzyme, a protein enzyme, and some guide RNAs to make a change in the genome in a very precise way. All right. People are using this in humans already. Uh, you yeah, can I heard they, they've modified a human embryo, is yeah, that right? No, that's, yeah, that's right. So, I'm not sure if it was CRISPR, but certainly in the last few weeks, they've been able to change gene mutations in an embryo and, and foreseeably have a viable uh, baby. And so you can think this is, this is great for a lot of people out there with genetic illnesses, mm -hmm. for instance. Let's say you have, for instance, Huntington's disease or some other mm -hmm. uh, monogenic, you know, a disease we know is caused by one gene. You can, at least you can say, you know, my kid is not going to have this life-threatening disease. All right. Um, I mean, but even that question is, is that something we should have free reign over? I mean, that sounds like a great idea, you know, and I'm, I'm all, all for that. And I don't want more people suffering, obviously. Right. But so what, what is the sort of the logical absurdity of that statement, you know? Right. Well, I think there's a really interesting kind of social and historical trend when we think about uh, 
pretty much every kind of you know technology, especially medical technology, is that we we historically go from restoration to augmentation. Mm -hmm. You know, and what you know, what are the bounds of that? So, again, you know, the a classic example is plastic surgery, right? You know. All the plastic surgery started as restoration for kind of you know, facial injuries, breast mastectomies, and then became cosmetic, right? Right. right. And so, you, kind of in a similar analogy, okay, let's say we restore kind of a defect in a, in a human embryo. Right. Then what's the augmentation, or what's the, you know, uh, the next stage when it's not that you've got something normal, but can you make it better? Like you personally, would you be okay with changing an embryo to make red hair, for instance? Yeah, and again, it, you know, it's it's, 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 a, it's a touchy question because, yeah. I, and I think the, the social norms are changing for how we think about this. Because I think, kind of, I think society today, more and more thinks about the malleability of kind of our bodies and our brains. And in some senses, it's good because we shouldn't think of ourselves as a fixed system. You know, some people say I'm not a math person, and so I can never do math, and and so, or I could never be this or that. And I think it's good that we sense that we have a sense that we can change ourselves. Oh yeah. But I think you're seeing that, like, you know, how much change is okay? So do we complete, like, should we change our skin to green? You know, should, you know, should we... Um, I like green. Yeah, green's nice. <laughs> um, I prefer blue. But anyway, um, beyond just red hair, what if I could make my kids smarter? You know, well, you know, the like, other thing, uh, sort of the other thing I would wrench I would throw into it is we, we actually don't know the consequences of changing skin color, even, even something simple like that. Like, right. maybe... Because that's related to uh, early nervous system development, neural crest. Right, 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 right. Is that that's a, a does it, point. I mean, there's unintended consequences. Right, exactly. Right. Maybe that affects other things in the system, like uh, support cells for your brain or nerves. And right. So maybe changing skin color ends up changing your mind in some fundamental yeah, way. Right? That's, interesting. that's yeah. really interesting. Well, maybe also I think, you know, just when we think about it in the broadest evolutionary standpoint, diversity matters. Right. You know, I mean, at, at every level, like species survival, <laughs> diversity matters. I mean, the more diverse you are, the more you're able to kind of manage kind of environmental changes, any type of, you know, change, because it, that diversity supports. So I think, you know, just when I think about in the broader social context, oh, yeah. no, you're right. diversity of mind, diversity of thought, diversity of perspective, that that is critically important for our species, you know, and, uh, and the more, if you try to constrain it or make it more controlled or monolithic, actually you're doing a disservice to the human species.